they're going to take advantage of those ways. It just is what it is. They're looking to discover who they are. They're looking to push back against authority. They're looking to make their friends laugh. Like it's wild to know how impressionable that age range's brain really, really is. It is. And what I want every adult listening to this to keep in mind is that if these technologies existed when you were a kid, you would have done all of the exact same things. You're listening to What's the Lesson, a podcast that inspires girls and those that love them to grow in their knowledge, skills, and abilities while working towards becoming the most confident version of themselves. We're your hosts, Jill and Mary, once corporate leaders and entrepreneurs turned confidence coaches who are obsessed with raising the next generation of female leaders. We're the founders of Girls Mentorship, a personal growth and development company for teen and tween girls. We're here to give them the tools to be resilient, problem solvers, and to simply be good people. Everything we wish we had access to at their age. We'll be sitting down with versatile guests to talk about things like how to manage expectations, bounce back from failure, even strategies to break up with a toxic relationship. We want this community to lift one another up so starting right now, you get to practice reaching your hand back and bringing other girls along for the ride. Let's go. Welcome back to the show, everybody. We're your hosts, Jill and Mary, here with a very special guest that we're really excited to introduce to you in just a second. But Mary hasn't been with me the last couple of <laughs> podcasts, so I want to introduce her Again. Again. Back. In case you forgot who I was. Yeah. I'm here. I'm back. <laughs> back in action. Hi. And excited to be here. Hi. I know. We've missed you. Thank you. I've missed being here. Okay. Can we just like kind of like hype our guest up a little bit? Yes. Let's gas him up a little bit. We say it all the time. <laughs> Instagram, social media, it's a difficult path to forage because on one end it's awesome. On the other one, it sucks. In this case, we uh, were connected with our guest through some sleuthing. We're, we're <laughs> professional sleuthers at this point. I think we've shared a few DMs, but Chris is integral in the internet safety space. So Chris McKenna, he has founded an incredible organization called Protect Young Eyes and gives a wealth of information to anyone looking for help in this space on ways to protect our kids from the dangers and the pitfalls of the internet. So Chris, ah, we are pumped that you are here. Thank you. A round you're of applause. You're, you you're so good. I, I really need my 17-year-old daughter to listen to these conversations. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, so I, expect, I expect her to applaud every time I walk in the room. And I'm just, Dad, not, I'm just not getting it right now. Same. <laughs> my kids too, Chris. Right. It's like you're just dad, right? You're I'm not just, you're not just the CEO dad. of this incredible company that helps educate and inspire. It's like, dad, where's my grilled cheese? I'm hungry. Dad, where's exactly. my money? Yeah. I'm going to the mall. Yeah, yeah. These are basic uh, needs. So yes. Thank you so much for coming on. I was watching um the Childhood 2.0 documentary, and Jill and I had been yeah. following you for a few months up until that point. And I literally it was two minutes into the documentary and your face popped on and I stopped it, <laughs> I screenshotted it, and I sent it directly to Jill. And I was like, Oh my God, it's Chris. He's on this documentary. This documentary is incredible. So 
before we get into what you're doing for Protect Young Eyes, um, you've had quite the path. I was listening to an Instagram live you did the other day, and you actually started oh, wow. out in finances. So, right? How it's... boring is that? What happened? I know. <laughs> what happened? What I mean, happened? I'm very into money right now. So, as a 34 year old, it's not incredibly boring, but for our audience, it probably is it a is. little bit more so. Um, so from finances to youth pastoring to protect young eyes. So will you talk to us a little bit about your path, your journey, what led you here? Yeah, I'm a CPA. I don't know how that happened, but um, after <laughs> 12 years and I loved my job, it was great. I mean, I met my wife as a CPA. We both met at the business college at Western. So without the financial path, I would not have the amazing family that I do today but about 12 years in, then the Lord called me into local ministry and I worked in middle school ministry because being a middle school pastor is so similar to being a CPA. Not. <laughs> not. Look at numbers, me. black and white. Crisp, and then crisp, silly string, Taco Bell. And, no, no. It, right. And so little did I know I had this secret love of Mountain Dew and Taco Bell, which all then <laughs> came to light during my years as a middle school pastor. But that gave me that that time frame was 2009 to 2016 so it allowed me to watch the transition of human beings into a time where we started carrying the internet with us right and imagine imagine when that's a new thing when the first kid shows up at one of my church services and he's carrying the internet with him now I had inklings of that because as a businessman I kind of came through the Palm Pilot Blackberry mm. sort of phase but yeah at that point, portable internet had a very specific purpose, and that was to help me conduct business. And it did right. a couple of things. It gave me a map, it had contacts, I could email. It was really oriented towards letting me respond to my emails whenever I wanted, which was awesome and annoying all at the same time. <laughs> and it, then it started to like a vine that wove its way into all the nooks and crevices of our life. That's what started to happen. And I was watching this take place in real time in the lives of junior high kids. And I love middle school. I know the two of you do too. It's right. We're in that crazy minuscule population of human beings that if given the choice would choose to work with middle school. <laughs> right. Love, we I also did retail and customer service. I don't, I don't know what, what's wrong with us, but we chose right. all those industries. <laughs> Let's pick the hardest things. Yeah. But watching it come into their lives was one thing, but then watching the complete cluelessness and not their fault because they grew up analog that their gen x parents were just didn't know it's like oh instagram is just this picture app i'm like have you ever been in the explorer section of instagram and in the beginning instagram i mean instagram now is clean compared to the way that it started off right or snapchat all these apps that were new and so i as a former consultant i saw a problem and i wanted to provide a solution mm. So I just created a closed Facebook group back in like 2014. It was called Digital Kids. Started doing PDF of every quarter. I'd update a PDF of the new apps that kids were downloading and how people were using them. And I put that out there. Then in 2015, a local girl here in the community I grew up with, she was almost kidnapped through the Kick app, mm -hmm. which has cycled in and out of popularity. It's right. just notorious for predatory activity from its inception and all the way through 2022, it still is. But anyway, the local news station here caught wind of this that I was doing because not a lot of people were talking about online porn or internet safety back in 2015. Oh, they're very hush-hush topics. Uh -huh. It's like yeah, it taboo. Was. We don't it talk was. about It was, and I had just come out of a 
years long porn problem of my own. And so I was just like, I need to tell the world about this because if I can stumble in it with all these, you know, resources around me, anybody can stumble into this stuff. So anyway, they caught news of what I was doing. They did a news story that included us and that just brought a lot of attention our way. So I started a website and protectionize.com came out of that. Um, and for those listening, please visit it. I want it to be now seven years later, free and available. I don't want any barriers between awesome, caring adults who love kids and the information that can help them better protect and prepare. It's not just bubble wrapping our kids. There are certain technologies that I do not think are appropriate during certain key developmental phases. Right kid, right tech, right time, not no tech, but slow tech. Those are some of the things that we say. But I also want them to be prepared to be fully functioning human beings without our intervention all the time. I, right. yes. Lord willing, my daughter is going to leave the house at some point. I love her, but I, <laughs> I do want her to launch and she Bye. can't do that. Right? right. I don't, I can't do that if I just always say no, 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 or always treat technology with a condemning tone because that's not preparing her for a world that is digital. We yeah. see that a lot in the work we do. It's like we ask kids to, at 18, manage their finances and get an apartment and get a job and go to school and make all these decisions. But six months prior to that, we ask them to raise their hand to go to the bathroom. It's yeah. like setting them up for failure right out of the nest. Mm -hmm. I was really, I mean, I love your story, Chris. And when you said, right, right tech at the right time for your kids. Can do you have like a a quick general kind of guideline for what that looks like for the listeners who are tuning yeah. into this? If they're like, "Oh gosh, am I on the right track? Am I not? Is my kid the right kid? <laughs> Is my kid the right kid?" <laughs> I don't know. Let's check the records. So <laughs> I want to start off by saying this is a shame-free zone. Whether you've said no, slow, or go, I just want parents to do what I did as a businessman for 12 years. This is what I mean. Working at Ernst & Young trained me to help businesses look at their business risks and then find solutions that would mitigate those risks to a level that was acceptable. I feel like parenting is the exact same way. And I apply the same principles to parenting. We live in a world that has risk. I can't mitigate all of it. But as a parent, my job is to know my kid well enough to make decisions that mitigate risks around them to a level that does them no harm or does them, it puts them in situations where at least the harm can be managed and learned from, right? So I'm always performing a risk assessment when it comes to my children. And technology is the same way. If you've said go and you've given your kid a smartphone, okay, but I want that to be an informed decision right. to mitigate risk in light of your kid having a smartphone so that it does them minimal harm. So I just want to start off by saying this is a shame-free zone. If you've given your kid a phone, everything I'm about to say isn't meant to make you go, oh, I'm God, the I've, done the wrong. I've ruined my the kid. And no, no, that's not, that's not it at all. Right. But if I have a clean slate, here's what I would say. I don't believe any child who isn't at least in high school needs portable internet. It's just unnecessary for their lives. I'm all about talk, text, and GPS. I want to know where you are, and I want to be able to maybe get a hold of you. But good gosh, you do not need algorithms and access to 100 million people in your pocket where you're going. And I say that out of not a spirit of, 
oh, Chris is no fun. I say it out of a spirit of sincere love for the middle school years, because as a former middle school pastor, I'll tell you something that you already know. Middle school has enough drama. Mm-hmm. It Amen. doesn't mean <laughs> it is already full of chaos and awesomeness and confusion and distortion and weirdness. It doesn't need any help from what I would say are lowercase g, God-like technologies, mm-hmm. adding additional confusion, chaos, distortion, and complexity into what is already a precious, amazing developmental time. It doesn't need any help. I agree. Let, let their own way of figuring things out not be complicated by TikTok, not be complicated by Instagram, not be complicated by features inside of Snapchat that actually encourage bad behavior. That's all I'm saying. And if you're going to give a mouse a cookie, he's going to want some milk, right? That timeless saying is, oh, it's so (laughs) relevant right now because if we're going to give kids ways to be deceitful and ways to toe the line and run past it, they're going to take advantage of those ways. It just is what it is. They're looking to discover who they are. They're looking to push back against authority. They're looking to make their friends laugh. Like it's wild to know how impressionable that age range's brain really, really is. It is. And what I want every adult listening to this to keep in mind is that if these technologies existed when you were a kid, you would have done all of the exact same things. Absolutely. Because what hasn't changed is adolescent neurology. Uh Adolescence, as you learn in childhood 2.0, has high dopamine or reward sensitivity, more so than adults. If you give a teenager money and candy, and this is scientific, They will learn things faster than an adult because the striatum in their limbic system is so sensitive to the prospect of a reward, right? That's awesome so that they learn whatever craft or trade that if you look at our development as human beings was being inserted into their life during that period of time. But at the same time, if you have an app that promises some digital reward or some variable reward like hidden swag inside of games like Fortnite or Minecraft, or the prospect of seeing pornography, which activates a chemical cocktail in a brain because of it being deep down in that almost reptilian part of our brain, that sexuality. Mm -hmm. If you think that that adolescent brain has any chance against those neurological forces, you're wrong. And your brain wouldn't have had a chance against them either. Right. No, (laughs) none of it was captured on film like it is now. But we say that all the time. Like, we're so glad that the behaviors that we engaged in at that age weren't on the Internet for everyone to see. And we didn't have those specific pitfalls. Obviously, there were other pitfalls that we fell into. But man, we're 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 in a lucky generation, I feel like, at this age, because not every stupid thing that we did, obviously we learned a lot from it. However, not every stupid thing that we did was caught and broadcasted. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, for everybody. It, yeah. I was just going to say that why we're good at what we do is because we've lived a lot of life. We've, we, we have a lot of experience, but we're also in this really interesting space and time with everybody else. It's an experiment, social media, mm-hmm. more advanced technology. We're all figuring this out. So I really love Chris that you said, there's no shame in this game. 
we're just here to empower and equip you to have you now start to think differently before you just hand over your phone this to your device. kids. And so now my, I guess my follow-up question is, what happens if a 12-year-old now has a phone and you're like, oh my gosh, now what do I do? Because I can't, we get this a lot. Well, now we can't take it back. We can't take YouTube back because it's going to be a fight. It's, it's going to be a be fight. tooth and nail. What would you say to the parents who are like, well, I'm too far invested into this? Well, I, I do think it's important to pick your battles wisely. I do think that it's important to keep in mind that we gave it to them. And so to just rip it out of their lives, given the type of neurological reaction that some of these experiences create inside of kids, it feels so disruptive, like you've ripped off a limb when you take some of these technologies out of their lives. And I want parents to respect that. And I want parents to realize that that's what they did. They, they did that, right? That they chose to give their child this technology. So now we need to choose, if we're going to choose to remove some of these technologies from their lives, we must do so carefully and surgically based on what you know about your child. And that starts off, I think, now every family is different. So I'm not going right. to try to tell anybody listening to this how right. to parent. This your, is not a prescription. Your children, you are the one ordained to parent them, not me. I don't want yours. I got mine. So, <laughs> but I, I want to convey a couple of principles. Um, number one principle is agency, meaning whenever we can invite the child into the decision-making process and give them some ownership in the direction that we're going. In other words, there's some buy-in, then we're always going to have more success. I want us to have some non-negotiables. As a parent, be the freaking parent. Okay, hear me on that. You have a right to say what things are non-negotiable. Maybe it's no devices in the bedroom after a certain time frame. But I think it also maybe comes with some questions like, I know that making some of these changes isn't going to feel awesome. So here are some of the things that I'm proposing. Which of these things do you feel like are the worst to you? I want to listen to that. Or what are some ways in which I, as your parent, should be using my own technology differently? Mm -hmm. Maybe you're not the only one who needs some changes. Maybe I do too. Mm -hmm. You want a really humbling conversation, ask your children what things you need to change. Whatever those questions are, it's under this principle of co-developing what the path forward looks like. And Unfortunately, the way that we often think about this stuff and the phrasing doesn't help us out. When you think about the software we put on a kid's phone, what's it called? What do we call the software we put on a kid's devices when it comes to the internet? Uh, iOS, iFire. Well, parental, contr parental control. Oh, parental control. Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. So, fire okay. firewall. You're like, you're like is this a trick fire. question? Are the internet safety guys asking you a trick question? I what? don't know. No. We're not prepared. We're not prepared for this. <laughs> no, we call them parental controls. Isn't that a horrible name? Yes, control. Think about, think about the 14-year-old version of you and your parent comes up to you and right. says, Mary or Jill, I've got an awesome idea for your life. I want to change your teenage years. We're going to do it through something called more parental control. <laughs> Said no teenager ever, right? That's no. A, and so I think from the very get-go, we're often seeing these kinds of conversations as 
me versus you. I'm trying to control you. I'm trying to exert my will as a parent over how you use the internet. Make no mistake. They already know more than you do. 100%. And all you do by <laughs> trying to control a kid who knows more than you do is you actually compel them into becoming little digital ninjas. Oh my gosh. Is so, that the truth? Re- approach it relationally. Be like, and just call that out. Say, you know what? I can put a bunch of rules in place and I know you're going to figure out nine out of 10 of them. You're smarter than I am, but that's not what we're going to do. Instead, I want to talk about some of the things that really concern me about the internet and what kind of parent would I be if I didn't try to do some things to get those things out of your life. I want some ideas from you, but at the end of the day, I love you. And some of the decisions that we're going to make here are because I love you. I want you to use the internet, but what kind of parent would I be if every time I put this internet connected device in your hands, which lets a hundred million people into your life, what kind of parent would I be if I didn't at least have an opinion about that? Because it's not that you're going to do something bad all the time, but how can I stop them from doing something bad to you, right? right? These are the little pivots in our conversation with them that I think on the surface, you go, oh, that's not big. I think that it makes all the difference in the world. And our kids can tell the difference between a parent who is curious and open about their technology versus a parent who is condemning and adversarial. There's a big difference. Totally. There is a big difference. And they're at that age, we've talked about this age a few times now, where they are looking for parents to love them, to prove that they love them. They're fighting for that. Prove it. Prove that you love me. And it's not through condemnation. Like you said, it's through things like showing up and showing that love, being curious about it and it is. It, it feels like parents are in that boat of it is you versus me. I'm the parent. I'm the adult. I know more. You do this. You do what I say. You know, it's it doesn't have to be a battle in that way in order for you guys listening to have a successful relationship with your kids. Well, and I was going to say the word like co-create, we mm-hmm. use that a lot. We do. Because we've seen, um, especially when we are talking to parents who want to work with us and they're like, this sounds amazing. Now, how am I going to talk to my daughter about this? Because she's, I don't know if she's going to be really open to this. And we're like, well, why don't we help you jump on the phone and enroll her in the vision so that it's on her to make the decision. You said the word buy-in. The buy-in. We need the buy-in from them as well. We don't want to work with a girl individually for, you know, two, three, four months who's like, I hate you guys. (laughs) I don't want to be here. (laughs) Like something I don't want to do. So it's even showing tweens and teens at a much younger age of like what that looks like around, hey, this is what it feels like to be brought in and to have my voice be heard. Um, That gives more power um, in the decision-making process. So I love that you said that too. Yeah, definitely. And those are some of the principles that on the front end, right? Meaning before kids are in high school, there's different things that we can talk about if a kid is already in high school, but more on the elementary and the tween and the junior high side of this, we've come up with something that we call the digital trust framework that I'm sure the two of you have seen in some capacity I haven't evangelized it much on Instagram recently, although I should, Um, but it comes from, you know, so many presentations, but also talking to parents about 
those families that seem to have young people who learn how to use technology well. What are you doing? What what is it? What's your secret sauce as a family? Yeah. And they tend to have five things in common. Number one, they lead by example. That's copy me. Parents who lead by example in how they use their technology have children who often acquire similar attributes. So parents asking themselves, how often am I using my phone? Am I asking for permission if I'm going to interrupt a meaningful time with my child to answer the phone? Am I saying, hey, I'm gonna, is it okay if I answer this? I just need to take a quick call that I'm right back to you. Or asking your child permission before you post photos of them online so that you give them some agency, but also some practice in consent. And what does that look like in this important picture of me being posted online? My mom asked if that was okay. Pictures have meaning. I think that's a really important thing for a kid to mm -hmm. figure out so that copy me and then co-play, which is doing tech with them. Then curiosity, instead of condemnation, parents are mm -hmm. curious. Three, they have conversations or four, they have conversations about everything, all the awkward things. And then they see their job more as a coach instead of a controller when it comes to technology. Still be the parent, but as a coach, you actually want your teams to succeed. And that's what we want is we want our kids to succeed in this space. So copy me, co-play, curiosity, conversation, and coaching. And families who do those things persistently and consistently tend to have young people who learn how to use technology well. That's what we've seen. That's incredible. That's incredible. Five C's. Let's alliterate it. Yeah. Everybody loves a good alliteration and it's easy to remember. Mm -hmm. And we agree. We've had certain families that we've worked with where it's like, what are what are you guys doing? Mm -hmm. Because your child is amazing and respectful and they could care less about being on the internet. And it's like, it's that involvement. It's that want them to be successful attitude. And I'm by no means saying that any family listening does not want their child to be successful. There's not a handbook on parenting that encompasses all situations, but it right. feels very subjective as opposed to being that coach, which is more objective. What's the objective here? It is seeing your kids be successful, not only as kids in school, middle, high, college, but in life, mm -hmm. because what we know fortunately or unfortunately, is if there's turmoil at home, if there are things that have gone on on the background, it takes a lot of time, energy, money, and willingness to look in a mirror to say, okay, a lot of things went wrong that are affecting the person I am today. Now I have to take the time to go to therapy, figure out what's wrong with me, ask those questions, get through the mud and the muck that people threw on me as I was growing up. And that's not incredibly fun. Has it been rewarding for us in starting this business in order to, you know, relate? 100%. However, if you can stop it from the get-go, it makes mm -hmm. life a whole lot easier, not just for the individual, not just for the family, but as you well know, these kids go off and become contributing members of society. So it really helps society as a whole in order for these principles to be, you know, Practiced. Practiced, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Um, well, and I, I, right before we pressed record, we were having a really cool conversation about you. You were presenting a keynote speech last week. And yeah, yeah. you were, you were saying basically what you, what you spoke on. And we were like, oh my gosh, this, this sounds awesome. So I would love for you to kind of now take us down what it was that you shared in that keynote speech sure. and and who you delivered it to 
because yep. regardless of that's important as well, because <laughs> these are the people educating our kids, right? right. We want them to be yeah. um, taught up in a way that they're being delivered relevant, relevant information as well. Sure. So this was at the National Catholic Educators Association. There were about 2000 teachers, superintendents, principals and laity that were down in New Orleans last uh, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And I spoke to them on Wednesday morning. And the title of my presentation was how to lead tech obsessed youth with empathy. So I started off, part one was all about the brain. Part two was all about the apps that interact with those amazing developing brains. Number three was looking at the science and the data that we're starting to get from those amazing brains. And then number four were practical examples of how to build what we call bridges of digital trust between school and home. Because often what schools deal with these days is what a friend of mine um, often refers to as the 301 problem. In other words, principals often deal with problems from eight to three that begin at 301 mm. during the 17 hours that they don't control. And then right. technology has made those problems more permanent and perpetuating. It used to be that going home actually reset quite a bit of the day's drama. Right. Now going home perpetuates wow. the day's drama. Very when you think true. about that yeah. difference. Right. So I talk about that all the time in terms of my own growing up as a 79 pound middle schooler, right? <laughs> Who used to deal with things that a 79 pound middle schooler does, like fitting inside of every locker in my middle school, only because I know. Um, <laughs> Personal and, experience. It's so yeah, helpful. I, well, this is this one's prettier than the last one. This that one's I was roomy. Yeah, I like I the way all, they decorate it in here. <laughs> I can actually move my shoulders in this one. But um, <laughs> but what I what I spoke about. The, the specific topic I spoke about was this layers of being known, right? And you're often dealing with young ladies and that limbic. So there's three parts, like functional parts of our brain. There's the reptilian brain, that deepest, oldest part of our brain, which says, are asking the question of, am I safe? That's our regulatory system. It's the part of you that when someone says heads up, you curl up into a ball to protect your head. You don't do that because you told yourself, I need to duck right now. Yeah. You instinctively do certain yeah. things to protect your body. That's your reptilian brain. Then there's the limbic part of your brain, which is the emotional part, more mammalian, right? Mammals are more known for the way in which we um, emote and deal with things around us. Then there's the third part of our brain, which is the cortical, the thinking part that's biggest in humans. We have uh, ways of processing complex thoughts. But that limbic middle section is the emotional like part of our brain, right? It's our longings, it's our stress, it's our fear, it's that fight or flight sort of, and it's asking a very important question of, am I loved? Mm -hmm. Am I significant to the world around me? That's what the limbic question is. Our bodies just developmentally go through four phases of being known. The body, our emotions, our language, and our identity. You think about the body as the first one. When you are born, you don't have a lot of abilities. Your body is doing what it needs to, to eat, sleep, poop, and that's about it, right? Mm -hmm. And your body is looking for feedback from the outside world. Does the world care about me through my right. bodily functions? Right. Each of these layers is looking for feedback from others to let this human know whether or not I'm okay. 
The next layer is our emotions, where we learn to smile and to react to other people. Mary and Jill, have you noticed that even mean people smile at babies? Hey, they do. It's they hard do. not to smile I at a know. baby. Think Most about that. True. It doesn't yeah. matter how grumpy you are. You put a cute kid in front of you and you'll They're smile at them. It's we're true. Almost, we're almost created to answer that emotional question in little babies of, do you approve of me? And they smile at you and you almost instinctively smile back. That's yeah. the emotional part of yourself coming online, that the world it means something to smile at other human beings and they smile back. I'm learning how to interact. The third layer is our language that comes online after that, where sometimes you'll see a, a kid, a young three or four-year-old tugging on mom or dad's coat going, truck, truck, truck. Like we know it's a truck, but that kid is looking for you to say, yes, that's a truck because his language is looking for feedback from the outside world that I'm okay. The final developmental phase is my identity. Who am I? And that comes online then in between and, you know, the teen years. And it used to be during my Gen X years that the mirrors through which I was looking for feedback to that identity question were pretty limited, right? It was where I went to church, the people I hung out with my neighborhood and my family, and maybe a few others. What we've done by giving kids TikTok by giving kids Instagram, by giving kids Snapchat, is we have put 10,000 mirrors in front of them to reflect back to them during a really complicated developmental time and answer 10,000 answers to that question of, am I loved? Am I okay? And who am I? Mm -hmm. And we have made what is already a complicated biological process of that self coming quote online exponentially more complicated. It's no wonder kids feel more stress and anxiety. And we see that in the statistics because we have inserted so much complexity into their young, amazing developing brains. And then we get upset when these amazing young developing brains with children wrapped around them make childlike choices inside of adult applications. It makes no sense. You're right. And so wow. that that's what I, they, they, they said a lot of, they were like, no one's ever said those things. Like we don't, we see it as just the picture app or we just right. see it as the app that makes things disappear. Yeah. All of those apps have all the same news and information that we worry about as adults. Do you think teenagers worry about the fact that there's a war in Ukraine right now? Absolutely. Do you think that's adding complexity to their developing years? Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that performing? Is that exerting many traumas in the lives of our children today with these developing brains? Absolutely. Yeah. And we underestimate the impact that putting these apps inside of these, you know, or, in, you know, in front of these brains is having on them. And so those are some of the things I just want our parents to understand. It's not that they can't handle them, but we shouldn't automatically assume that they can. Right. And I think that's the part that is missing right now. Well, and we, oh my gosh, we, we always say, and we, we actually learn this through this work that we're doing. It's being able to prepare like preparation for 
especially phones, like you need to set your kid up for success. Like, what are you about to hand over? What are the agreements? What are, you know, it's, it's in the preparation that you're preventing the damage control. And that's, that's the conversation that I'm really hearing in this is like, you, the, the more that we can prep our kids for what they're about to see or when it's appropriate, then that's more of us doing the right thing versus the control so that, you know, we just don't hand it over and say sayonara and, well, well sorry, you, you know, mom over here doesn't know how to work Snapchat and, oh, I'm too old for that <laughs> thing. And, and then come to find out that they're dying inside, truly, like the anxiety and they're riddled with depression and the keeping up of the personal brand now that they exactly. feel like they have to put out there. It's like, Yo, what? That, You're 14. <laughs> that damage that then that they then they don't share it with their families. And that's where we then see parents come to us to be like, something's off with her. She's no longer confident. Her light is dim. It's like well, she used yeah. to be this. She used to be that. And we just don't know what's happening. And a lot of the times, a lot of the time, most of the time, it's the comparison game of who she's trying to, you know, show up as online or who she's trying to learn from online. Or honestly, it's the it's the being left out of pictures. It's not getting yeah. the likes on Instagram. Right. It's the unfollow, the follow. It's the tiny little things that now is just like eating away at our kids' self-esteem. Absolutely. Well, and this this conversation has been incredibly enlightening. I knew we were excited to oh have you on for gosh. a reason. You guys, just as as adults, I you know send DMs and we get just <laughs> as excited when somebody writes back. And when you said yes to being on our podcast, we knew this conversation was going to be incredibly impactful, not only for our listeners but for us as well. Mm -hmm. So thank you for the work that you do for the fact that you've really given your life to this cause and and the path you've taken has really built up to it feels like you're answering your calling, which is which is really powerful um, because it feels like you're stopping at nothing to get the information out to everyone, the people who need to hear it, the people who don't want to hear it, the people who aren't ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. And I know that this conversation and the people that listen to it in our community is going to be incredibly impactful, not just when it comes out, but for years to come. That's the cool part about podcasting. Whenever you happen to come upon it, it's it's going to be impactful. And it's just, it's cool to know that there are people like you in this industry that we can look towards for this particular set of information. Because mm -hmm. this isn't something that we are necessarily experts at in any way, shape, or form. So thank you for being that for this community. And for us. Yeah, for, yeah, no no problem. Um, yeah, I'm in the trenches with your families. I got four kids of my own, I'm elementary school, middle school owner, and a high schooler. I got a set of twins in there. I have a a son with Down syndrome. So I've kind of got all the, you know, all the different at all. The moving pieces. Girl with three boys, you know, so I've got gender differences. I've got age differences. I've got cognitive differences. I'm stumbling and bumbling, you know, my way through this, just like all of you. And so visit us, you know, protectyoungeyes.com. We built an app during COVID when our presentations all shut down, the Protect app that you can find if you just search Protect Young Eyes in Google Play or the Apple App Store. 
I would love for you to download. It's free to download. Um, just a small $3.99 a month if you want all the premium content videos. If you don't know how to talk to your kids about tricky people or about pornography or about mental well-being, we have videos in there for grades K through eight that you can watch on your phone with your kids. So you're checking a couple of boxes. You're teaching them, but you're also doing this co-play of doing tech together so that you're shoulder to shoulder learning. So I those are things that are important to us that I would love for your listeners. <laughs> Yeah, and Absolutely. it's it's an incredible website. I've found myself on your website several times to look for conversation starters or, or ways to have meaningful conversations with parents. So we will absolutely include every bit of that in our show notes so people can awesome. easily find the website and the app. And seriously, if you're not following PYE on uh, social media, it's something it should be in one of your top accounts if you have children and this is a constant battle for you. So thank you, Chris, so much for joining us today. And um, until next time, you guys, we'll see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson? We say this every time, but wow, what a powerful episode. These conversations always leave us feeling so fired up and inspired. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in with us. If you're looking for more, head over to girlsmentorship.com slash WTL for the show notes. And if you felt as inspired by listening to this conversation as we did having it, we would be ecstatic if you'd advocate for us in one or all of the next three ways. One, by sharing this episode with a friend or on your social media. Two, by heading over to iTunes and leaving us a rating and an honest review. And three, by following us on social media. This community is full of movers and shakers. We share ideas, we ask questions. So if you're interested, we've linked our Instagram account as well as our exclusive community on Facebook in the show notes. Until next time, you guys, remember, the more you know, the better you do. And this bomb-ass episode was sponsored by Girls Mentorship.